All right. Good morning. Forgot my bottle of water. Don't mind me. Just a second. I might get choked up later. Phlegm, not tears, obviously. Obviously. Man, I'm excited to, uh, to be here with you guys today. Uh, I was telling somebody this week, I got to kind of marinate in this message for the last two weeks, so I'm really pumped. I hope it's as good as I think it's going to be. That's up to the Holy Spirit. Um, I've, I've put in the work, so we'll see what happens. Um, man, just the words of those songs this morning, God is so good. We know that He's good because of our experiences with Him. And because we have those experiences, we understand, we know, we live in the fact that we are no longer slaves to sin, no longer slaves to the things that try to bind us down, and that we've been rescued so that we can stand and sing that we are a child of God. What a great uh, summary, really, of the message today, but also uh, what the Christmas story is about. I hope that if you weren't here last week, that you gave yourself an opportunity to go and listen to the podcast and hear the testimony of Kyle and Bethany um, sharing of the things that God's done over the last several years, but most spe- more specifically, um, what he did this week, or the, I guess it was two weeks ago at YAC. Um, they shared a story of what God is doing in the lives of our students, and, and it's incredible for us to be able to see that and to be a part of that, and we're going to use some of those stories today to help illustrate, to bring out some, some application from the passage that we're going to look at. Today we're going to read portions of Isaiah 7. We're going to kind of do it in reverse, though. We're going to read, um, I think, 10 through 16, and then we'll come back and hit the front. But we're going to read that prophecy, and then we're going to look at uh, why God chose that time and why he did it in the way that he did it. You know, I was thinking this week, um, we often, those of us that have grown up in church, that have heard this Christmas story so much, that we take it for granted. We take for granted the knowledge that we have and the meaning that that knowledge has for us as believers. Um, I had an example, uh, I had a, a, a conversation with some young men this week, and I asked them a simple question. I said, why do we celebrate Christmas? So let's, I want you guys, this is going to be activity part real quick. Why do we celebrate Christmas? What's it about? Y'all say it out loud. Joshua, go ahead. You don't Right, okay. Christ was born. Y'all can all answer. Go ahead. What? Presents. Russ is going to be excommunicated. All right, so Christmas is about the birth of Christ, right? And we know that. We know that because we've had the opportunity to grow up in church. I asked these young men, what is Christmas about? And there were five of them there, and no one really knew. After a few minutes of kind of prodding, one of the guys was like, well, I mean, that's when God was born. Yes, that's correct, right? But they don't, they don't know what Christmas is about. It quickly became apparent that they didn't know what Christmas was about. They didn't understand it, but, but they didn't understand why we needed Christmas. And it's not about the presence, right? It's about the presence of God coming here for us. And so I, I pulled a Russ Meek, and I said, okay, we're going to talk about Christmas, but first we're going to go to Genesis, and we're going to talk about what the problem is, right? We're going to look at the fact that we are all sinners, because until we understand the problem, the solution doesn't make any sense. Right? Have you ever done a math problem where you get the solution first and you've got to figure out the problem on the back end? It's hard. It's difficult. And so we went back to Genesis and I talked about the fall of man and how God said he made a promise to his people that one day I'm going to send someone who can fix this sin issue that you've introduced into the world. And so we know as we've looked through Exodus that, that we are constantly being pointing towards the day when that promise is fulfilled that Israel is always looking for the king that's going to come and crush the serpent's head. And that's what the Christmas story is about. 
and it was fun. Is I took about 10 minutes to kind of walk them through that, to walk them through history, and you could begin to see the light bulbs come on in their head because they've heard bits and pieces of what Christmas is about. Because they grew up in the South, they've heard bits and pieces of what Christianity is about. But when you begin to tell that story from start to finish, their minds were enlightened about what Christmas is about and that Christmas is a celebration of the fulfillment that promise uh, uh, the fulfillment of the promise that God made for us that he was going to fix the sin issue. So as we dig in today, I want to ask you, you've probably heard this story before out of Isaiah 7. Hopefully you read it this week in, a, in advance of the sermon. But I want you to, to do yourself a favor and don't just turn your brain off as we begin to read these passages. We're also at the end of the day, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2, which we've all heard and read and sung about so much about when the angels um, came before the shepherds to announce the arrival of, of the Messiah. So today, keep your, keep your brains engaged and, and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal some truth to you. I've shared with you guys before, some of you may or may not heard it, but I've struggled with Christmas for probably the last decade or so. And my struggle with Christmas is not the idea of it. My struggle with Christmas is that it just felt worn out. Like we sing the same songs we have the same traditions and we do the same stuff. And for me, that's what Christmas was. It was this worn out stuff that I've done since I was a kid and I like new things and I was ready for a new thing. And so I, starting last year, I just asked God to give me a new perspective on Christmas. And he has through the things that he's doing in our church and in our community. And so my hope and my prayer has been for you guys this week that God would do the same for you. Bethany and, Kyle, Bethany and Kyle shared last week that five of their students gave their life to Christ, which for you may not seem like a big deal. Yeah, you can applaud that. That may not seem like a big deal, but it's huge. It's huge because we've been working in this community as a church for almost five years. And sometimes when, and we're going to see this in our story today, when you do something that God's called you to that's really hard, it can drain you. It can feel like, am I ever going to get to the end of this? And I can tell you, after having been with those students when the light bulbs came on and they realized their need for a savior and they confessed their sins and they asked Jesus to be the Lord of their life scripture says we become a new creation and I saw that this week we had a young man who I cannot tell you how many times we have sent him home for fighting and he would say I'm never coming back and we'd say okay we'll see you next week and he's always mad about something that happens on the basketball court and this week we're playing basketball and he's a big kid, he's not a small kid, but somebody fouled him, it was an accident, he got poked in the eye with a finger, and what normally would have resulted in a fight, this young man, he just, he just bent down for a second, he gained his composure, and he stood back up and he walked over and he looked at me, I said, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. And he went right back to playing basketball. That's not his personality. That had not been his personality prior to this experience with Jesus. That's good news for us. This is what Christmas is about. It's about Christ coming and working in our lives and taking out the things that need to be taken out so we can be more like God. It's about sharing that hope has come and that there's great peace and joy that coming, comes from knowing Emmanuel, which means God with us. Christmas is about the fact that Jesus came to be here on earth with us to experience what we experience. And so I'm excited this year to celebrate Christmas, and I'm excited about getting to celebrate Christmas with our community by baptizing some new believers. I don't know if it's going to work out or not, but our plan, our goal, is to baptize those students and then a few others from our, from our body on our Christmas Eve, or our, not Christmas Eve, our Christmas party here on December the 18th. We'll talk more about that later, but I'm so excited that we're going to get to celebrate Christmas by baptizing some new brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So today, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. So if you're on, in a Bible app on your phone, you can make that switch. I'm usually in the ESV, but today I like the wording of this particular uh, uh, passage in that translation. So if you can flip there, or it's going to be on the screen, let's jump in and we'll look at Isaiah 7, 10 through 16. Later, the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Then Isaiah said, listen well, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? All right then, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And by the time the child is old enough to choose what is right and reject what is wrong, he will be eating yogurt and honey. For before the child is that old, the lands of the two kings you fear so much will both be deserted. Let me give you some context about this King Ahaz and what's going on in his life right now in this passage that we read. So God sends Isaiah, who is a prophet, before King Ahaz, and Ahaz is a descendant of the line of David. And in that kingly line of David, Israel has been waiting for the perfect king, for the golden age, and where all of the promises of God are going to be realized, and finally things will be fixed, and Israel will be God's chosen people and, and live in that kingship with him. And remember, we just mentioned that exchange with Adam and Eve in the garden. And ever since then, in every generation, Israel has been looking for the one who's going to come and crush the serpent's head. And as we know through this passage, and we know because of our knowledge, our study of Exodus, they still have not received the fulfillment of that promise. And so even in King Ahaz's time, even though it's much later in history than this journey through Exodus, they are still waiting, they're still watching. They're still under the leadership of a king that is far from God. Isaiah is sent by God to remind Ahaz of who God is and what God has promised, what God has said that he will do. Now Ahaz, in the middle of this, knows that he's living in sin. He is aware of it. He chooses to stay in that sin. Specifically, he's worshiping false idols and he's relying on his wisdom and power to rule over his people. So God sends Isaiah... To tell the king to remember what God has promised. To remember the things that he's spoken. And to ask God specifically for a sign so that he can remember. But instead of listening to God's messenger, Ahaz says, no, I don't want to do that. He says that it would be a sin. Let me just, this is just a freebie. If God tells you to do something, it's not a sin. Right? That seems like a no-brainer. But God tells Isaiah... Go tell King Ahaz to ask me for a sign. And Isaiah says, I mean, uh, Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to do it. He's refusing because he doesn't want to rely on God. He wants to rely on himself. He refuses to ask for the same reason that we often choose not to ask God. Because he's living in fear. He's living in a lack of faith. He's living in a desire to do things his own way. But King Ahaz finds himself faced with a huge problem, and he's trying to figure out how to handle it. And I'm going to share in a minute some huge problems that have showed up in my life and how I can respond to it. But I want you to put yourself in that story as well. But let's look at how God plans to deal with this. He's, Ahaz is trying to handle it on, but let's look at what God says. In, in Isaiah chapter 7, we're going to read verses 1 through 9 now. When Ahaz, son of Jotham and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah, 
King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Remelah, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. The news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people trembled with fear, like trees shaking in a storm. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, take your son, Shear Jezahub, I don't know, and go out to King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. I want to pause and just tell you the reason that at the end of the aqueduct is Ahaz is trying to make plans. He knows that if those two kings attack, they're going to be locked within their city walls. And there's going to be a siege. And they're going to just sit out there and it's going to be a stalemate until all the people inside the wall die. And so he's out there making plans. In verse 4 it says, Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out embers, embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, the son of Remelah. Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, We will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will install the son of Tabal as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. The invasion will never happen. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, Rezin. As for Israel, within 65 years, it will be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no stronger than its capital, Samaria. And Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Remelah. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. So point one, number one I want to make today is that God gives the vision for ministry and life. Ahaz is afraid. He's overwhelmed. He's making plans to be under attack potentially for a really long time. He's looking, he's hearing the things politically that are happening around him and he knows he's fixing to come under attack and so he is afraid. But listen, God's not surprised by it. God sends Isaiah to tell him, you're worried about these two attacking you and it's not going to happen. Stop worrying. God tells him that in, in, in his time, that these two rival leaders are going to be completely gone. God wants to show Ahaz in advance what's going to happen so that Ahaz can know him. Again, God's work is always to bring us to himself, to reveal himself to us so that we can know him. You know, Bethany shared last week that when God called us to this neighborhood, we felt overwhelmed both by the needs of what we saw here and our complete lack of ability to meet those needs under our own power. It was very strange for us to be here. However, God gave us a vision for what he wanted us to do here. And as Bethany explained last week, that vision was not easy. And just because God gave us the, the vision didn't make it feel any easier. It still seemed overwhelming. At the beginning of this year, God spoke to Bethany the very, some very specific things and ways in which they're to work towards the realization of the vision that God had given us for this community. So she and Kyle both knew that it was going to be up to God to do this work because they knew it was outside of their capabilities. Just knowing what God wants to do isn't enough. We need to have faith along with that. And that is where Ahaz was struggling. I was talking with Kyle right after at YC, and he'll be the first to tell you that there was a lot of awkwardness for him this, this first year of him teaching. He's brand new at it. It was way outside of his wheelhouse. He shared that last week. He's like, God, you're telling me to do this, and I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know about you, but I've been there a lot in my life. And I hope that God has put you in some places like that too. 
And we, just like King Ahaz, tend to look at the challenges around us and feel like it's impossible for us to overcome those challenges. Have you experienced that in your life? Where you look at the things that are in front of you and you go, there's no way. There's no way I can make it through this. I can't tell you how many times in my own life God has done things like that. And I can't tell you how many times people have come to me completely overwhelmed and saying, I don't know what to do. And my response always needs to be, what's God saying to do? What's he telling you? Look, I, I know what it feels like to be overwhelmed. Let me give you a little history of what's happened in my life over the last three weeks. The weekend of YC, the Friday before, the kids came and got me out of the bed early Friday morning and said, Dad, we hear water running in the laundry room. And so I go in there and a, a ball valve has disintegrated. They don't do that normally. And there is a one-inch water line spraying in my laundry room. Long story short, it flooded about a third of our house. So we had immediately had to get served for the same people that helped us clean up the flood here, came out to the house. They are literally ripping floor out of my house. The, the laundry room and the pantry is all one room in our house. So all the food that was in the house was completely soaking wet. And Bethany and I are standing there going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Bethany's thinking, of all weekends, why this weekend, God? Right? We're overwhelmed. And so... We're trying to get organized. Bethany calls Miss Debbie Upshaw. She's amazing. She came out and was like, okay, there, here's what you need to do. Right? That's what Miss Debbie does. She gets us lined out. We had, this is going to seem so silly, but we had a 10-pound bag of onions that we had just bought, and they had gotten wet, and they were going to ruin unless I did something with them. It was clean water. It was out of hot water here. So I'm standing at the bar. I got my headphones in, in my own world, just having a conversation with God, cutting up onions, just cutting up these onions, oblivious to what's going on around me. And I'm having this conversation with God, and I'm trying to get some perspective on what's going on. And I look up, and the other women that are in the house are all just crying. They're just crying. And I realize it's because I'm cutting up onions. <laughs> but in the middle of that, I was like, God, what are, you, what are you doing? What's going on in my life right now? And I realized that even though my life felt turned upside down, I still had peace. I wasn't worried. I had joy, and it wasn't because of anything in me. It's because of Christ that's in me. So we deal with that. We go to YC, which is exhausting for us as we've gotten older because you get very little sleep, and you're chasing teenagers all day, okay? It's exhausting. We get done with that. We come home. Our house is full of fans and dehumidifiers, and it's deafening loud, which stresses me out so much. We, we get done with YC. I think we got in the bed at 1 o'clock that morning. I got up the next morning, went to work, worked Tuesday and Wednesday, trying to make up for missing Friday, which I had not expected to, and Monday when I was off for YC. And then Thursday rolls around, and we got to have Thanksgiving, so we cook fourth the night before. And then we drive to Rust, and we have Thanksgiving. We come home, we leave from our house uh, Friday morning, that Friday morning, and go to Crowley and pack up my in-laws who are getting ready to move. And then we come back Saturday, we unload stuff, Sunday we had church, and then the next Monday started right over again. Look, our life has been stupid the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's just the best way to define it. You can ask my wife or my kids, they will attest, life has been nuts. But in the middle of that, God's working. We just have to make an effort to see it. Listen, if, if we would have gone to YC and we would have let the, the events of our weekend or that Friday affect us that Sunday and money, if we don't let those emotions and those feelings be the overriding thing that's happening, God couldn't have done what he needed to do in the lives of those students at YC because we wouldn't have been able to do it. 
We'd have been so focused on ourselves that it had just been like, whatever, and we'd have just gone to YC. Not to say that God is limited by us, but we all know by experience that when we're not taking the time to be focused, it hinders God's ability to work in our lives. Sometimes we need to just stop, take a breath, cut a 10-pound bag of onions, and ask God what he's doing. Because then you can cry and everybody just thinks it's the onions. Sometimes life is hard. But God wants you to see what he's doing. He wants it for me. He wants it for you. In the middle of our craziness, God is working and we need to just pause. And say, God, what are you doing here? Show me. Give me perspective. Ahaz's life is crazy at the moment. Here he is, the king of Judah... And he's got two different kings, two different nations who are planning an attack. And he's feeling the pressure of that because it's his job as king to protect his people. But God's working. And he's speaking through Isaiah to help him see what God's up to. God even tells Ahaz, before this sign comes, the two rulers aren't even going to be around anymore. They're not going to exist. Look, we have something that Ahaz doesn't have. We have the Holy Spirit. God doesn't have to send a messenger. The Holy Spirit lives right here inside of you and inside of me. And all we have to do is just say, God, what are you doing? Give me some perspective on my life right now. Point number two is when we sense the Holy Spirit working, we need to listen and obey. You can hear the frustration in Isaiah's voice when Ahaz refuses to listen. God sends Isaiah to help King Ahab. Ahaz move into a position of faith by reminding him of God's promises and asking God to show himself so that it will brace up that faith. I was sharing a story with somebody this week. I used to have a, or I still have the friend in my life, but he used to call me all the time and ask me for advice. And so I would give him the best advice I could and then he wouldn't listen to me and whatever it was he was doing would fall apart and he would be ashamed and we'd wait two or three months and he would call and say, hey, I didn't listen to your advice. My life fell apart and I would go, sorry, bro, I love you, you know. One day he calls me, he's like, man, I got this friend. He asks me for advice all the time. I give him good advice and he never listens. I was like, man, that must suck. And it just got quiet on the line and he's like, shut up. <laughs> Look, God lives inside of us and he wants to direct us. He wants what's best for me and he wants what's best for you. But we have to stop and we have to listen. But then we also have to go a step further. We have to do what he's telling us to do. Ahaz chose to continue to let his circumstances define his reality. He chose to look at the invading armies and say, this is my reality, when God is saying, That's not, what you see is not what's happening. What's going to happen is they're not going to come, so trust me. If you need a sign, I will provide that for you. Isaiah tells him that God's going to send a sign anyway. But often you and I let our immediate circumstances determine how we're going to respond. I'll tell you another story from our community time here. Never mind, I'm not going to tell that story today. I'll tell you another day. But listen, here's the point. We allow momentary affliction to influence decisions that are going to have long-reaching ramifications for us. Think about that. We let our immediate circumstances define what our reality is and we make a decision based on what's happening in the moment without asking God and we have to live in those decisions for long periods of time. God could see beyond what Ahaz could see and God can see beyond what you can see. 
to Ahaz, it appears hopeless. Both of these countries are closing into attack. But God, who sees everything, is trying to tell him this is a non-issue. Don't worry about it. My house is flooded. I'm walking on wet floors and God's going, don't worry about it. I got it. Here we are in the middle of the holiday season. We just went through Black Friday and Cyber Monday and everybody's really excited about it. But we know how stressful it can be. You're spending money, sometimes more than you have. You're trying to buy gifts for everybody. You're dealing with family and schedules and sugared up kids. Thanks, grandparents. But God's working in the middle of all of that. In the middle of all of that, God is doing something. We need to give Him time to speak that. And as we let God speak, He's going to show us what we're supposed to do in the middle of that. He's going to say, here's what I'm doing, and here's how you need to respond. So why does all this matter? Why does it matter if Ahaz listens? Why does it matter if we listen? It matters because how we respond to the craziness reveals who God is to us and to other people. I want to say this as a pat, I don't want to say this as a pat on the back for Bethany and I. But if we'd have let the stress and the fear and the frustration of all the things that have been going on for us the last couple of weeks, we'd have missed God in some pretty big ways. I would hate to think that if we'd have let that control us, that the stuff at YC wouldn't have happened. But it's a possibility. God wanted to work in those kids' life, and how we responded to the craziness going on in our life mattered. Look, we know the enemy is out to stop everything that God is doing. We've been very clear about that. Scripture is very clear about that. Satan will do everything he can to thwart God's work. Even melt a ball valve with water. But it doesn't matter. God's got it. If we spend all our time focusing on ourselves, we rob ourselves of the blessing of ministry. When all we see is our own discomfort, we miss hearing the Holy Spirit and seeing what He's trying to do in our lives. Especially during the holidays, in the middle of the stress and the busyness, we have to be vigilant to abide. That we don't let that crazy uncle get on our nerves because he brings cookies with ants in them. I have an uncle that did that. I'll tell you that story another day. You just got to just laugh it off and just say, God, you got it. I'm not going to feed my kids the cookies, but you got it. Okay? Our abiding isn't just how we hear from God, but it's how others experience Him until they're able to abide for themselves. Point number three. Hope has arrived is the Christmas story. God is trying to help people see that they have a place, that they have placed their hope in the wrong place. God was trying to help Ahaz realize that he had put his hope in his own strength and his own power and his own wisdom. And it was in the wrong place. And God wants us to realize that when we, when we try to fix our lives, when we try to fix ourselves up for God, it's not going to work. Look, I want to point out that King Ahaz is in the middle of sinning. And God goes to him. God sends a messenger to him to say, hey, stop, stop this. Let me fix it for you. Y'all, that's a good word for us because in the middle of my sin, God comes to me and says, cut up a bag of onions and let me tell you what's going on with your life. God is trying to help his people see that hope is on the way. That the Messiah, this long looked for king is coming. And that hope isn't just going to free them from these current circumstances, but it's going to free them from everything forever. 
throughout the Old Testament, God is working to prepare his people for the one that will crush the serpent's head. God has a plan. He has a plan to redeem his people. He's always had a plan. And for generations, Israel's been watching and waiting for this promised Messiah. Have you ever heard the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees? Have you heard that before? Sometimes we're standing in the middle of the forest, but we can't see it because of the stuff that's right in front of our face. We get so focused on the little things that we miss the grand scale of what's going on. King Ahaz is missing what God is doing because he's allowed his circumstances to overcome him. God's plan has always been to redeem his people. In the moment sin entered the world, God said, I'm going to fix this. And I'm going to do it through my son. God's plan has always been to reveal himself to us. To help us realize that we need him. And for Jesus to restore our relationship. You and I are part of that plan. We've talked about this so much. But we have to be obedient to his call. Or we miss the opportunity to be a part of it. Bethany and Kyle's persistence in working through the awkward, hard, frustrating nights here. Made all the difference in the lives of those five kids. They were able to understand who God is. Because they worked through that stuff. And it mattered to them. And it also matters to the other 30 or 40 that are showing up every Wednesday night. They don't know it yet, but it's working. It's having its effect in their lives. I talk about this regularly, but Christ in us is God's plan for revealing himself. Sometimes that happens quickly, and sometimes it takes years, but it's always worth it. Listen, as we go through this next month, as we go through the Christmas season, we have the opportunity to share hope with people around us. We have the opportunity to tell people that Christmas is not about buying presents. Christmas is not about all the chaos, all the family stuff. All that can be good. But that's not what it's about. And I'm not talking about wearing a bracelet that says, keep Christ in Christmas. Okay? That's not what I'm talking about. You can wear that if you want to, but it's not going to do any good. When we live life in a vulnerable way, letting people see the struggles that we have and responding by trusting God, they see it. It makes a difference. By living that way, we're showing others that we don't have it all together and it's okay. Then in the middle of our crazy messed up lives, God is still here, God still loves us, and God is still working. That is the point of Christmas. It's to proclaim the hope that we desperately need that hope is here. He came. His name is Jesus. I want to look lastly at Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. We've all heard this before, but when God sends the angels out to the shepherds, I want to ask you, what did they say? Let's look at it. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born. That's the hope of Christmas. That the thing that we've been looking for our whole life, that ultimate peace and joy is here. He has arrived. It goes on to say, and you will see, and this will be the sign of you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. 
And suddenly there was an, an angel, with the angel, a multiple, multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who he is pleased. And then how do the shepherds respond? They go find Jesus. When we live our lives in a vulnerable way, and we let people see what's going on in our lives, and we share those struggles, and then we respond by trusting God, people are going to go, man, I, I want some of that. And they're going to go looking for Jesus. Isaiah is telling Ahaz, hope is on the way. God is telling us and the people in our lives that hope has arrived. And that is what we celebrate. Christ has come. He's here with you, where you are, as you are. He loves you. End of story. Christ sees you where you are, in the middle of your sin, in the middle of the struggle, in the middle of your craziness. He says, can I just come be with you? Can I show you who I am? And when we allow that to happen, Christmas is something different. It's bigger. It's more than just the stuff. It's more than just the busyness. It's a celebration of the fact that you and I have been given the most incredible gift. The gift of having a God that walks with us through life and says, hey, you see that stuff that looks crazy in front of you? I got it. Let me handle it. Let's pray. God, it's my hope and my prayer that as we walk through Christmas, that you would allow us, in a way that hasn't happened before, to be focused on you. That as we're in the middle of buying gifts, as we're in the middle of, of moving our families back and forth all over the place from one, in, from one relative's house to another, that in the middle of all of that, for us, and for our children, that we could experience you. That it could be more than just a holiday. It could be a celebration of who you are and what you're doing in the lives of your children. God, help us to see you, to trust you, that when life goes nuts, that we can just take a breath and watch and listen and obey. Amen. Y'all stay and let's worship together.